Good morning again, if you would, please turn to the book of Philippians. Uh, we're going to be looking at this morning Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Philippians 1, 3 through 8. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Lord, we... We, your people here, Sovereign Grace, ask for that blessing. The blessing that would cause our minds to be alive to your word. The blessing that would cause our hearts to love what we see in your word. The blessing of the work of the Spirit in repentance, joy, faith over these next minutes in your word. So help me to that end. Help me teach. Help us see. To the glory of Jesus, our only hope and Savior. Amen. Amen. So if you're there in Philippians chapter 1, but before I read the text, remember Paul's here. He's in Rome. He has just received a substantial financial gift from the church in Philippi, which came to him personally by the hand of Epaphroditus. Paul's imprisoned. He sits ready to write. And as we begin with verse 3, it's obvious that he's bubbling with joy. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Oh, blessed is the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible word. The main point of this passage, the main point of verses 3 to 8 is verses 3 and 4. Whenever I pray for you guys, I cannot help but pray with joy. That's the main point. Verses 5 to 8, then, is the reason he prays with such joy. And then verses 9 to 11 are the contents of his prayer for them. And so, let me just say first off, this morning... I am not ashamed to tell you 
that my main goal is to help us see the grammar and the syntax. That's my main goal. On Sunday morning, in church, my goal is that we would see Paul's logic, Paul's reason for why he prays with joy concerning the Philippians. So look down. It's right there on the page in front of you. And these whys are crucial to grasp because if we can see why Paul is praying with such joy every time he prays for the Philippians, then we have a biblical model for our own joy if we find ourselves in prison or in sickness or in distress or in depression or fear or anxiety. There's joy in praying available. So let's look at it. Begin with verse 3, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Okay, in other words, when you Philippians come to my mind, I say, thank you, Father, for the Philippian church. Thank you so much for them, these people. Then, verse 4 Restates that. But, but, but a little bit differently. He restates it by telling the Philippians the manner in which he prays for them. Saying, I don't merely just mouth words and pray for you. But when I pray for you, I always pray for you with a heart filled with joy. That's what he says. This is probably not true the way he would pray for the Corinthian church. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, happiness, really good feelings towards you. And as I'm talking to our Father and your Father, are in my heart. And notice that joy in verse 4 is what Paul is emphasizing. The way you know it is because if you omit that word joy from verse 4, get it out of there, well then, there's a meaningless statement that's left and that's it. In every prayer of mine that I pray for you, I pray. That's what it would say. But his point is, no, no, no. In every prayer of mine that I pray for you, Philippians, I pray with joy. And so the question is, what is it? What's it about the Philippians that causes Paul such joy when he thinks of them and prays for them? But... Let's pause first now. Paul is imprisoned in his own quarters. There's always a Roman guard tied to him. He doesn't know how his case is going to go. He knows that he might be executed within weeks or months at this point. He doesn't know or whether he will get released. And Paul says, I want you to know as I sit here in Rome, I have joy in my heart when I pray for you. 
There's a lesson there. And that is the joy he's talking about is not superficial. It's not determined by his external circumstances. And that raises the crucial question for every one of us. Over the last few weeks, over the last few months, what do you look to? What is the source of you trying to find joy? Is it in your job, in your work, in money, in a thing, in toys, in possessions, in people's approval or acceptance of you? If Paul looked to his present circumstances of being in prison, and that's the source of his joy, he wouldn't have any. Those kinds of objects that we all are tempted to say, if this is going right, if marriage is going right, if the kids are going right, if the money's going right, then I'm happy. But the gospel brings us something much deeper. And many of you know it. You've experienced it. When around you things seem to be crumbling, and you really go to prayer, and you find joy. You find joy in your thanksgiving. You find joy in your petitionary prayer on behalf of others. It's there. Paul's joy here transcends his present circumstances. Why? Look at the passage. That joy, he tells us where it comes from. First, it comes from verse 5. See how verse 5 begins with the word because. Meaning, here's the reason. Let's read it again. Always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's the reason. It's the first reason he has such joy when he prays for them. Because of their partnership in the gospel. Now by those words, Paul does not mean because you believed the gospel. That's not what he means here. What he means is the Philippians' active participation in the spread of the gospel. In other words, he says, I pray for you with joy because of your partnership in the spreading of the gospel from the very first time I met you. Then throughout all these last 12 years. And now, even now, while I sit imprisoned in Rome. That's why I pray for you with such joy. You see it? That's what he's saying. And we can see this fellowship that Paul has, because the word partnership there, it is the word, most of us know this. There's churches named this, okay? Koinonia. 
Koinonia fellowship, which is redundant because koinonia in Greek means fellowship. This is the word, your partnership, your fellowship. And you see this fellowship he's talking about as he prays for joy with him even more clearly in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Why? Because I hold you in my heart. Why? Because you are all partakers with me. Same word, fellowship, with a soon. It's, it's a compound here. You're, you're, you're fellowshipping with me in grace. You're partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. They are fellowshipping with Paul. Grace is causing it while he's in prison, confirming the gospel and standing for it. Now, Paul lays out what he means there even more fully in chapter 4. So flip there for a second. Starting with verse 14, Paul writes, And yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, meaning when he first came to Philippi to evangelize them, that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, that's the county or the region of the church of Philippi, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into fellowship with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, just down the road a little bit in that town, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So, his joy is coming first from that aspect of their fellowship in the gospel. The Philippians' financial support of Paul's ministry through all of those years up until that present day that he's writing. But their fellowship also went beyond their wallets because When they sent the gift by Epaphroditus, their intention was also to give to Paul Epaphroditus, that he would stay in Rome for who knows how long to serve Paul, to be of help to Paul in practical ways. And thirdly, we see in Philippians, they're also sharing in fellowship in the gospel in the Back home in Philippi, the church is there. And they're spreading the gospel. And we know that because look at the end of chapter 1. Start with verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict there in Philippi that you saw I had, you're having. And now you hear that I still have here in Rome. Their fellowship 
in the gospel. So Paul's joy is real. It's personal. And it's related directly to his relationship, his fellowship with the members of the Philippian church. That's his first reason why he prays for joy. And then he goes on to a deeper foundation, even than that, of his joy. It's, and he goes to, I think about the ultimate source of your faith. And why it is you believe and what that means. And that causes me great joy when I pray for you. It's verse 6. Verse 6 is the second reason for Paul's joy. And I am sure. I pray for you with joy. Because I'm sure of this. And here it is. That he, that is God, who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The fact that God is at work in his people, changing their thought patterns, their desires, their preferences, so, so that we... We love the gospel. We love what he loves. That reality, which is the gospel, there is no greater promise than that. And that is the promise of the new covenant. It's what God promised for centuries before sending his son. And what Jesus said, I'm shedding my blood to purchase this new covenant. The way this is this is how God said it through Ezekiel, his prophet, in Ezekiel 36, concerning the new covenant, starting with verse 26. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh soft. And I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. Paul looks at the Philippians as a whole, sees this fruit and says, I know you're real. And that means you'll make it. He started it. He's doing it. And he will complete it. See, okay, let's go back to the text that Paul tells us. Paul, why are you so convinced that that's true of the Philippians? His answers, verses 7 and 8. It's right for me to feel this way about you all. See, he's answering the question. It's right for me to feel or think this way about you all. Why? Because I hold you in my heart. Why? For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment 
and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Let's go back. Follow it slowly. Paul said to them concerning verse 6, he began it, he's going to complete it. I'm persuaded that this is true of you because it's right for me to feel this way about you are. That is, in other words, it is right for me to feel that you are genuine believers of verse 6. That you're real. So why do you think that, Paul? Here's his answer. Because I hold you in my heart. That's what it says. Because I, now, I, because I have a deep affection for you. That doesn't quite answer it by itself. That's why the next, he, say, he says, here's why I have deep affection for you. The last part of verse 7. Because, and here's his answer in short and we'll look at it. Because you have been and are supporting me in ministry. For you are all partakers with me of grace. How? I mean, what, you're partakers both in my imprisonment in Rome and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. They are fellowshipping together. They are partakers of grace together in that it is God's grace that empowers and motivates their giving and Paul's preaching. In other words, the Philippians, they partake in God's grace with Paul, while Paul is in prison hundreds of miles away in Rome through their support. As the grace of God is empowering Paul to stand and defend the gospel while he's in prison in Rome, in all of those circumstances, it's the same grace of God that empowers the Philippians to send to him money. In order to help. That's what he's saying. That's the first main reason he says, I'm, I am convinced you're real. I'm convinced of verse 6 about you. And then the second reason is verse 8. Second reason for my confidence that you're real. God began it. He's been doing it. And he's going to complete it. Is this. Because God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus himself. Paul says, I know that this deep affection in my heart that I have for you it's not merely me. It's not merely emotionalism. 
But it is Jesus, our ascended Lord, his very personal heart for you that causes my heart to feel it by his spirit. And because this affection is Jesus loving you, follow the logic. Because that's Christ Jesus loving you. That's why he allows me to feel it. Therefore, I know that you belong to him. I know that you are his sheep. And if you are his sheep, it's only because he began it. And if he began it, he will complete it. No dropouts. And that's why I, Paul, pray for you with such joy. All right, that's my best shot at teaching it. What I'm going to do now, I'm going to paraphrase what I've said, my understanding. If you ask again, Joe, how do you see this passage? Okay, and I'm going to be very redundant because I'm going to do it twice. First, I'm going to give you my paraphrase, working backward through the logic, starting with verse 8 and working up to verse 3. So, here we go. Paul is saying, start with verse 8. Because the affections of Jesus himself for you Philippians are causing me to yearn for your welfare, that mixed with the fact that you have clearly been empowered by God's grace and that you have supported me financially in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, those two things have caused me to have deep affections for you in my heart. And therefore, it is right for me to be convinced and utterly persuaded that the God who worked new birth in you all has been causing you also to be empowered by grace, and He will continue to do so until He brings it to completion on Judgment Day. That's why in verses 3 and 4, I cannot help but give thanks and pray for you with overwhelming joy. One more time. Here's my paraphrase. Starting at verse 3 and going down. Paul writes to them. Philippians, when I remember everything that is true about you, I thank God and pray for your welfare with heartfelt joy. This joy comes from the reality of your fellowship in the gospel, which you have been proclaiming and supporting financially since the day I entered Philippi until this latest gift that arrived while I sit imprisoned in Rome. And underneath all of that is the biggest reason why I beg God on your behalf with such joy. And that's this. I'm convinced that you are truly His. That He clearly began these good works in you all and therefore He will complete it and bring you home to heaven on the final day. Why is it right for me to feel this way about you Philippians? Simply this. I have a deep, heartfelt affection for all of you. Because my heartfelt joy for you is the very affection of Jesus himself for you. 
working in me. And therefore, you're his. And he will never let you go. So how could I not pray for you with joy? Okay, now that we see the passage. The way that this should hit us is very applicable for our everyday life. And that is just simply this. We should allow what Paul grasped to grasp us. We should, we should allow the truth of the gospel that he saw working in the Philippians. And thus, if we do, we will have joy. Paul was filled with joy because he saw the hand of God that started their joyful lives in Christ and that God was therefore, throughout all these last 12 years now, continuing that work in them. And therefore, he knew God will bring them all safely home. No dropouts. That is the new covenant promise. Just flip over to chapter 2 of Philippians for a second. Because in chapter 2, verse 13, Paul repeats that same promise in different words that he said in chapter 1, verse 6. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You see it? God works in you. Now, to will and to work don't refer to God's will and God's work. It refers to the Christian's will. And the Christian's work. The first work is God's work working those two things in you. It is God who works in you. What's he doing? Chapter 1, verse 6. He began it. He'll complete it. He began it. Why did you believe? God worked. Faith in you. Well, I persevere in faith. If he began it, you will. But I fight to sin and desires. Oh, yeah. But you have also desired Christ. You find yourself in a battle. That's God's mark. Be joyful. He began it. You'll make it. For it is God who is at work in you both to Will, affecting your will. And for your work, according to his good pleasure, which the will and work and actions are 
ultimately, ultimately died together. Paul's point is that the Philippians were not just doing religious duties. Oh, yeah, I guess we're supposed to give Paul money for the ministry. They weren't just doing outwardly and externally things that I guess that's supposed to be pleasing to God. I'm a Christian. I probably shouldn't do that or do that or I guess I'm supposed to do this. Okay, that stuff right there. When you read your New Testament, when Paul says the, the term, the letter of the law, that's what he's referring to. To have just an external law. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit fornication. Uh, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do not steal. Worship the Lord your God. Without a heart change, it's just mere external letter on pages because it's not in your heart. It getting into the heart is the new covenant. And that's what he's referring to. The new covenant is all over chapter 1, verse 6. It's all over chapter 2, verse 13. It is God who's at work in you, both to will and to work. The Philippians weren't just doing. They were desiring what God desires. Remember how Paul wrote about them to the Corinthians when it came to how much money they were so thrilled to give. He says, they, and he said it was because of the grace of God, they begged us. I guess we're supposed to, no, please, Paul. Let us, let us give more. It's God who's at work in you. Both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Desiring. Isn't that what you constantly want? Don't you look back at a day or a week or a season of your life where you just didn't even think about it. It's almost all you did is desire God and his will. And then you find yourself in a time where my desires aren't very high. Here's your hope. Here's your hope. And so that's the question to us this morning. Where's God in your life? Are you desiring to worship? Do you desire to commune with Him? Shut your mouth and listen? what he says in the scripture do you desire to obey him to please him do you delight in the songs that we sang this morning and the truth that is in them do you thirst for the preaching and proclamation of his word do you have a growing dissatisfaction with your sinful nature and a desire to be molded and to be changed by the Holy Spirit in Scripture? Okay. If you do, 
If you, if you have just an inkling, yes, then you should all the more join Paul in giving thanks to God. And, and praying for yourself and praying for one another in the body of Christ, what he prays in verses 9 to 11. The, the joy explodes in these words. It's what I pray for you. It is my prayer that your love may abound, grow more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so from that, be pure and blameless. For the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. We pray that with joy because God is at work in us. You're desiring, you're giving. You're growing. You're doing His will can only be explained by God is at work in you. Both to will and to work according to His good pleasure. So the question is, do you love Jesus? Do you love the law of God? Do you want to please Him? If you say yes, the only explanation can be that God's at work in you. He began it. He'll complete it. It means this. God, oh, I want you to, I want you to feel it. It means that the creator of the universe, the creator who's utterly sovereign even over all the horrific evil going on in our world right now, pain, suffering, disease, murder, all of our imminent deaths, the creator of the universe has taken a personal interest in you. He is personally involved in changing you from the inside out. And that is the awesomeness of the gospel. Isn't it infinitely better to be changed from within by God working its way out than some mere external religion and duty list being coerced to act a particular way. That's the new covenant though from the inside out. 
So let's follow Paul. Paul has joy in Christ. He has joy in the gospel. He has joy in his fellowship with other sinners who are partakers of the same grace, of the same gospel. He has joy in the truth that he who began a good work in you will work on you until he completes it at the second coming of Jesus. And therefore, if you find yourself, believer, dear Christian, it's still undone, not where you would like to be in your pursuit of holiness, if you are despairing over some besetting sin in your life, don't give up at all, ever. That despair is His working in you. Don't give up. Because God is not finished with you yet. Keep trusting the workman. The workman who brought you to himself and is in the process of still chiseling upon your heart. He's still forming your taste buds more and more for deeper and deeper grasp and understanding of his glory and of his holiness, which is our hope for walking tomorrow. By faith in Christ. He's begun it. He's doing it. And he will complete it. Father, I pray that in extraordinary ways this morning and this week, in quiet times, what we have heard from your word would manifest in amazing, an amazing experience of comfort, joy, delight in prayer closets represented by this church. We thank you, Father, for the glorious gift of your Son. And as Paul said it even differently there, you didn't spare him, but you gave him up for us all. Therefore, nothing, nothing shall ever, 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 ever be able to separate us from your love toward us in Christ Jesus on the day of his second coming.